Hello, I'm Fiona Davison. In today's special edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast, we're remembering a true heroine of horticulture, Beth Chatto, who passed away recently. An inspirational gardener, plantswoman and writer, she also won 10 RHS gold medals, which is why it's appropriate we should be celebrating her life here in the grounds of the Royal Hospital at the RHS Chelsea Flower Show. One of the ways that Beth Chatto inspired thousands of gardeners was through her books. I'm the head of the RHS Collections and Libraries and we've got lots of Beth's books from the dry garden, the damp garden, the gravel garden and the green garden tapestry. Beth was admired and loved by family, friends and gardeners around the world. One of those friends was another legendary plantsman, Roy Lancaster. In 2010, he visited the garden in Essex that she created with her late husband, Andrew, to discuss the development of what she described as a horticultural and ecological experiment. Well, as you probably know, for 25 years after the house was built, we came to live here and I started the nursery. This was where my visitors parked. This was the car park on grass. When I was able to get a piece more land to put the cars on, I'm left with three quarters of an acre of gravel soil, gravel and sand, 25 foot deep, with a very, very low rainfall. So no, not roses, no, not heathers, what shall I plant? Well, I had in my mind I'd like to grow drought-loving plants here, but how? I mean, today you make a meadow, don't you? Just, but, yes. but what, what? I, I couldn't see that. This, I couldn't see that. But I happened to be in New Zealand with Christopher Lloyd, where we'd been invited to do some lectures. And we stood on a bridge and looking over down onto a dried up riverbed with a few um, scrubby plants here and there, the tea tree plant. Mm. Um, what did you call Leptospermum. it? Leptospermum, that's right. Um, I was fascinated, of course, to think that it, you know, we now use it in the bathroom. Um, and I thought, ah, that's what I want um, a gravel walkway with island beds and borders on and off. And see what I can grow that will, will stand the drought and will produce a picture here all the year round. Um, at the same time, I did also make the decision that this would not be irrigated. And there is a notice at the entrance to say um, that this, this garden, this entire area, is a horticultural experiment to help us and also our visitors who might have hosepipe bands because, I mean, um, 20 years ago even, we were having more hosepipe bands. I think the government had been so bothered with everything else that's going on that they've forgotten all about um, conserving water. Anyway, we haven't had any hosepipe bands, but I just felt that for visitors to come here as a public, which not a public, as my private garden, which I share with them, t for me to have the luxury of hosepipes everywhere seemed a bit unfair. At the same time, to help other people that you don't, if you can't water, you can grow this and this and these and those. And so we do, we have, we have life here longer than we do anywhere else in the garden. Even the wet parts of the garden, like the water garden, everything disappears because that's the nature of it. Here we've got foliage, grasses, shrubs, texture, movement all year round. I just love it. And a lot of bold plantings with the yuccas. Yes. And a, a good collection of grasses too. Even this time of year, they're still giving this beautiful, wonderful flow, the movement you're seeing there. Well, steeper gigantia over there, 
to me, it's it. Um, I mean, making a garden is a little bit like furnishing a room, mm. don't you think? You know, you've got yeah. the big pieces of furniture, the bookcases, the carpet, which is the ground creepers on the floor, and then you have your objet d'art, your ornaments, your lamps. To me, Steepa Gigantia is a standard lamp lit. Oh, radiant, whether the sun is on it or not. It, it, what you're saying about all, all these different shapes and sizes and, and the way they grow reminds me, in one of your books, you mentioned that uh, planting a garden and, and living the garden is like bringing up a family. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. <laughs> it makes you think, well, what exactly does she mean there? But I think I, I do see what you mean. Because they're always growing well, yes. and they get big. I mean, like the boys, you know, in their short trousers. Yeah. Um, that's a young tree which you can pat its head. Mm -hmm. And a, a few years on, and there it is, you're craning your neck to look up at it. There it is. Are uh, you pleased with how it's turned out? Yes, yes, I am. I mean, I think that for all of us who are gardeners and, and those who would be gardeners, we can't all go on having babies, but we can go on growing plants, more plants, different plants, new plants, cherishing the ones we already have. It's a creative urge in us to encourage life and we, this is what we can do in our gardens and I think that's why it is such a wonderful hobby and more than a hobby, a life. Their garden was shaped by Beth's passion for unusual plants and friendships with other gardeners and visual artists such as Cedric Morris. Her husband Andrew's interest in natural plant communities was also a profound influence. Perhaps my approach to gardening came partly through Andrew in his research as to what plants, garden plants were, where they grew in the wild and what they were growing with. Say the original um, lilies or um, delphiniums, for example, uh, which of course, uh, when he was a little boy, he was taken to California and he saw Ceanothus uh, outside and he came dashing in and said, how did Ceanothus get here from Radlett, where he was brought up, where it was in his garden? And of course he was told they are wild, like um, Delphinia, like um, blackberries and elderberries are in England. Forty, fifty years ago, um, species plants were not commonly grown, I mean, um, in this country, in gardens. Um, most garden plants were proper garden plants, like dahlias, chrysanthemums, um, you give me some carnations, etc. Clematis, of course, delphiniums. All improved by the horticulturists for to be garden worthy. Now, there are plenty of wild plants that are not garden worthy, and there are some wild plants that um, have been improved by being slightly, um, you know, adjusted one way or another. But it was um, through Andrew's um, almost lifelong research into the homes of garden plants that this garden, my, my understanding of ecology came from. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not an ecological garden. You can't make an ecological garden. I mean, you haven't got the conditions and it wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't look like anything anyway. It's got to have the art brought into it as well. Uh, that came to me through my old friend Sir Cedric Morris, who was both a great famous artist, but also, a, to, 
to my mind, and to many people who knew his garden, a famous gardener, and his garden was almost entirely species plants, Gosh. whether they were herbaceous plants or bulbs, whatever. Um, he did go a, a little way away from that in, the, in that he had a very good collection of old-fashioned roses, old roses, which Graham Thomas was very interested mm -hmm. in, of course. I met Graham there. Now, um, as I say, by these two men, I have introduced to my garden and eventually into my nursery the use of species plants as opposed to cultivars. And I think that this um, has been um, a radical change from the centuries before when we tended to think of plants separately as garden plants or wild. Wild does not mean uh, weeds. Yeah. So you see that as, as a, a strength of your garden, the, the number of species you have here. Yes, and also, you mentioned earlier um, um, all the different cult the cultivars, they wouldn't survive here. I mean, in my gravel garden, three-quarters of an acre of gravel and st sand and stone, um, the, the, the cultivated plants made heavily double and stronger and, uh, and stronger stems, tall, all the rest of it. They would um, collapse in that poor, poor soil. They just could not survive. Yeah. The native weeds curled up and died before I chose to look for um, the drought-tolerant plants which grow there now. I think there's uh, a piece in one of your books and you're referring to the fact that uh, gardeners, we all, we all have... We all have uh, the same palette. We all have a palette, but we don't we'll necessarily... It, no, we can all... Whenever you... Yes, exactly. What, what, what we, was it? We may have the same palette, but we all... I mean, Cedric was here one day and um, in the early days of making the garden, and I'd been reading all sorts of books, other people and this and that, and, you know, I was suddenly, you know, said, you know, nothing in this world is new. You know, we're, we're you know... We're, we're all doing really the same sort of thing. And Cedric said, well, no, we may all have the same palette, but we all paint a different picture. Oh, well, yeah. now, he, he was an artist, of course, and, I mean, there's a difference between Cedric Morris and, uh, you know, whoever you mm. like to think of, mm. Constable or mm. um, anybody else. The number of people I used to have at Hillier's who would want some advice on a particular plant for their garden, and you'd recommend whatever, and they say, well... Does it flower? Exactly, does so it You must flower. have had that. Oh, again and so again. So how did you react to I that? I say it's beautiful now. I mean, I think... I, look at all these different leaves around us mm. here. The formium there. Um, the yucca as a contrast. The um, Hennebores corsicus just sitting on the edge of the step there. They're all shapes. I and just, dramatic shapes. And dramatic too, shapes, yes. I mean, in many gardens, they rely just so much on colour. So you'll have, you know, red here and red there, mm -hmm. or yellows and blues. But when the colour is gone, what are you left with? Mm -hmm. And so often, um, plants which flower with sumptuous flowers, the foliage is not worth looking at. You just, you know, ignore it or cut it down or whatever. And, and I noticed also, and I can't, I can't let this pass without mentioning, one of the finest trees now in full cone of the, not any old larch, the golden larch. Yes. Now this was one of the finest specimens, at least in the east of England. Do you think so? Yes. I do. Mm -hmm. I've never seen one fruiting so freely as this, and, and the fruits are like uh, 
corns like uh, little green arch aren't artichokes, artichokes, aren't they? Aren't they? Yeah. Yes, yes. And the, oh, the colour. Tell when... me about what happens later with the, with the foliage. Oh, a great circle of gold on the ground, of course. Oh. Mm. How, how old would that be? This tree? Oh, over 40 years. Mm. Was that your 45 choice? 45 years, I think. Oh, Andrew and I, when I we first Andrew laid... Oh, yes, saw this, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, Ford, uh, originally introduced by Robert Fortune from Was China. Yes, yes, so a, yes. a nice slice of history mm, comes mm, with the tree, yes. as well as it's beautiful. But well, it is one of the finest um, I've seen. I suppose because we had enough land to plant some major trees, but perhaps what distinguishes this garden from... the I mean, after all, the majority of houses being built for owners today are pitifully small. Mm, not much bigger than this terrace that we're sitting on. Um, and so I apologise to them who are seeing, as you say, the finest golden larch here uh, in, the, in the district. Um, who can afford to grow it? Who's got the room? Um, but we, because we had these 300-year-old oaks as a, bound, as a sort of as features in this water meadow, on the edge of the water meadow, it was no good just planting the burnhams and cherries and, you know, marlas. They would have looked too small, out of scale, of yeah. um, whereas this and the swamp cypresses and the metasequoia, um, they are fast now, but they are landscape trees, I know, but I'm just hoping that the garden here, you know, um, I, I, I've had to get rid of some, but, you know, we need enough because they add a nobility to the garden, which yes, you don't work. get with mm. um, the sm smaller trees, mm. lovely as they are. I mean, Amelanchia, if I could only have one tree, it would be, <laughs> it would be Amelanchia Lamarckii. You know, I always say, say about uh, trees, uh, yes, I, I love trees, uh, and I've, I've worked and lived with them for so many years in my life and been in the wild to see them. But they, on, on any landscape, wild or gone, they are the largest plants usually in vision and because you have to look up them there's certainly sort of ethereal sort of spiritual oh quality. absolutely i talk here about painting sky yeah. all these different shapes up against the sky paint the sky it's easy enough to yeah. paint the ground and get color on the ground but you've got to live 20 30 40 years to get these trees i bet you as a girl i bet you climb trees didn't you? yes i'm afraid so <laughs> <laughs> But of course, for many, it's the friendship, correspondence and sharing of ideas Beth Chatto had with Christopher Lloyd, founder of Great Dixter Gardens, that was to become one of the cornerstones of both their gardening legacies. I know Christopher Lloyd was a, a particularly special and dear friend of yours, and lots of people have written about him. A lot of people talk about him, but you knew him really well. How did you first come to meet him? Well, I first came to meet him, like probably heaps of other people, through his writing. Um, uh, some, I think somebody gave me a copy of The Well-Tempered Garden. At that time, I'd never even heard of Christopher Lloyd, famous man as he was. And I just couldn't put this book down. I hadn't read a gardening book like it. I still don't think that there is another gardening book like it. I don't think he has written anything better. It just conveys... All his passion and love and quirkiness, oh, it was a delight. Did you agree with everything he wrote? Then? Well, um, I, I, I was nodding my head and saying, yes, yes, you know, I felt, yes, I <laughs> felt I was with him enjoying these plants we obviously shared and enjoyed. But there was one thing that I stumbled over, and that was he hated Begenius, mm. or Begenius, or however you like yeah. to pronounce them. 
and I can't live without them. To me, they are an integral part of my garden design. Well, now, I've never written to an author before in my life, but I was so entranced by him, seduced by him, if you like, by his book. I did. I sat down and told him how much I enjoyed it, but I said, one thing I can't agree with you, and that is Begonias. To me, I can't live without them. They are, to me, the full stop at the end of a sentence. They, they're lovely, smooth. You need something soothing at the end of a complicated bit of planting. So back in the post came a card, come to lunch. <laughs> so I did. And thus it began. <laughs> and so it began, yes. And, yes, we were in many ways very different. Um, I had a Japanese student here, and um, she went and visited Dexter and came back and said, I can't think why you two are friends. She said, you're so different. And I said, well, maybe it's because we yes. are different. Yes. Um, I mean, if we were both standing on the same spot, competing in the same style or whatever, um, no. Um, so, um, while, I mean, and anyway... Dixter is so different. Dixter is very much its tradition of English gardening, wonderful great medieval house. As it, it asks for theatre. It asks for all the things that Christopher has given it. What did Christopher think about your garden when he, when he came to visit here? Did, was he always sort of pointing things out? Or... Um, he, he was a lovely person to have because, you know, I mean, some people just walk past and just take it all in, I think, like the breath of air or something <laughs> or a miasma of colour or whatever. He didn't. He would stop and look intimately at the plants. It would take him ages to get round the gravel garden. And poor Fergus alongside, he would sometimes say, why don't we do this and why don't we have that? And I used to have to say, well, Fer, you haven't got the conditions. If you had these awful, poor conditions that we've got, nothing but gravel here, you wouldn't be able to grow all the sumptuous things that you have at Dixter. Um, you know, we each garden according to our Indeed. conditions. And you would hold your own because you're, uh, you have strong opinions about your plants, as, uh, as Christopher had. And uh, you would you would stick you would stand up to him, wouldn't you? You wouldn't just take everything that he sort of uh, well. We never came <laughs> threw to blows. At you. We never came to blows, no. but occasionally, when we we did quite a bit of travelling together, mm. as you might know. I mean, we went up down to Scotland several times and stopped in on gardens all the way on up there. And we also were in New Zealand, Australia. And in fact, we went round the world together, yes. uh, looking at gardens. And um, I must confess, I expect I got on his nerves because he occasionally said to me, Oh, Beth, do shut up about ecology. <laughs> <laughs> that was Roy Lancaster talking to Beth Chatto, OBE, and holder of the Victoria Medal of Honour, who sadly died on May the 13th, 2018, aged 94. You can find links to more information and articles about Beth and her gardens on our programme page, crhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. On our programme page, you can also find links to details of this year's exciting flower shows at Chatsworth, Hampton Court and Tatton Park. Plus, you can find details of how you can be part of this podcast on RHS Members' Day, Wednesday 6th of June at the Chatsworth Flower Show. We'll be recording a live question and answer session with RHS advisors and well-known gardening experts. If you can't be there, you can submit your questions via social media using the hashtag RHSChatsworth. And one last piece of show's news for listeners north of the border. Come and see us at Gardening Scotland from the 1st to the 3rd of June at the Royal Highland Centre in Edinburgh, where you can take part in workshops, get gardening advice and vote for your favourite in our mini show garden competition. Well, that's all we've got time for today. We'll be back in June. 
Until then, from the podcast team and me, Fiona Davison, goodbye. <laughs>